Hello everyone, before we start the episode, I just wanted to let you know about our retreat in Thailand this February, February 24, from Koh Samui. It's at Samahita. Samahita is a retreat set on a quiet beach with a beautiful yoga place, high standard accommodation, plenty of healthy options in the cafe, and a wellness centre as well. So I'll be teaching my story in the morning, as always, and in afternoon sessions I'll be doing technique, philosophy, loads of stuff, and generally be around for questions, chat, and sharing throughout the week. So if you want to meet me, or you have already, and you enjoyed our experience, <laughs> come. Maybe you can be one of these people. And now, here is the episode. Hope you enjoy. So, today on the Kieran Yoga Podcast is, or are, John and Marta from Ashtanga Yoga Nalayam, Singapore. They've been there since about 2019, and recently I had the pleasure of covering for them for a month in the month of August, I think. So, um... It's a pleasure to actually talk to you and learn a bit more about your backgrounds because we never actually met. They were gone to India and then I arrived and then they went and then I left. So, um, you know, we never actually met and talked properly. So it's a pleasure to have a little chat with you now. We did briefly meet once when you came before to our old shallow once to conduct a workshop. <laughs> yes, yes, I do remember that, obviously. <laughs> we did actually meet. We did, we've never actually had a proper chat, really, have we? Outside of... Uh, me coming as a, a teacher, which is, you know, a very different situation than just having a chat and uh, finding a little bit about you. And uh, I was just, we had a long chat, in fact, before we started. And I thought I'd just save, save a few questions at least for, for this. So I suppose the first question is, how did you end up in Singapore? I mean, um, Magda, uh, Marta, I believe you're, you're from, originally from Europe, right? From Poland and John uh, from native uh, Kerala, uh, India. So, uh, South yeah, India. we could say it. somewhere, somewhere in South India. Um, so, how, how did you? How, you know, let, let me know a little bit about your background, how how you met, maybe, and, and then how you ended up there. That would be wonderful to hear a little bit more about well, your story. Well, we had this very beautiful um, story of our first encounter when when we met each other in Mysore. Um, so, actually, that was the main reason uh, why I moved to Singapore, where John was already for a year or two yeah. prior to our meeting. Uh, so it's it's love and it's yoga, the two things that got us here together. <laughs> so you were already teaching in Singapore, John, and then um, and Martha joined you. Right, yeah, I was here for yeah. two years teaching, and uh, one, and then I, when I went back to Mysore, I met Martha, and she took up the courage to move to Singapore from Europe all the way after years. Um, long distance relationship with WhatsApp and things like yeah. that. But yeah. Eventually. Yeah, we spent I think together about like one or two weeks in Mysore. <laughs> uh, and it was like one of these very few things that happen in your life when you instantly know this is it. So at least for me at the moment I saw John and like you can tell he's a very handsome guy. It's probably not only me, but I was like, mm, okay, this is it. <laughs> you know, I need to know this guy better. Uh, and I think it took me like two or three days um, to get a little closer and find common friends so that we could hang out together. Um, and I think it clicked from both sides quite instantly. Uh, but then unfortunately, around one week later, John had to move back, go back to Singapore, where he was uh, teaching, a full-time teacher, working super hard, like seven days a week. Uh, and I went back to Germany, where I was working as architect, and I was having my uh, small 
Ashtanga Mysore Berlin at the time, small shala. Um, yeah, so one year on WhatsApp, I think we met each other once. John came to Berlin and we traveled to, it was 2017. Yeah. We traveled to Copenhagen to practice with Sharad. So that was our like week together after knowing each other for a week. <laughs> And then a few months later, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm packing all my luggage, I'm selling all my belongings, and I'm moving over to Singapore to start our, you know, beautiful yogic life. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite, um, quite, I would say, I don't want to say desperate, but quite uh, unique and quite powerful encounter in our lives that literally changed us and got us where we are here now. But uh, yeah, it's one of these things that probably doesn't happen twice in your life. And yeah. either you follow it and you go fully into it or you regret the rest of your life. So, so we, both, uh, we both went. Seeing her literally felt like I've known her since a very long time. Even though I saw her first time at my, at, at my, in Mysore, it didn't feel like I'm meeting a stranger. It literally felt like I'm seeing this person that I knew already before. Yeah, I remember the first trip. Uh, we went to Idli Man for a breakfast. That's where I managed to convince him, like, come sit on the back of my bike. And, <laughs> and he's laughing until now because I couldn't really drive a scooter very well. But I was so desperate to get him behind and drive him from the old Shala and Gokulam to the Idli Man. And people were like, oh, are you, are you guys have been knowing each other for a while? And I was like, no, we are just actually talking for the first time in our lives. But I think there was this connection. Um, despite Absolutely. we are very different, we are a bit like yin yang. We kind of complement each other. And I think there's this, the fundamental things that we have in common, like we don't even have to discuss that we, we might argue about many unimportant and unessential <laughs> things in life, but we kind of really, Kind of share the essence of you know like spirituality and, and like deeper thoughts we don't even have to talk we are just there together so um and that's something that we felt instantly so yeah love at the first sight as they say and that's that's how how then eventually i moved to singapore and also tried my luck working for many many various yoga studios until we both and got courage to to open our own yoga shala in 2019 and then um, we've been like working, teaching, running master program in two different places until actually just a couple of months ago, uh, we managed to open our actual beautiful shala, which is like a fully dedicated to the teachings of Ashtanga, to, to what we share, to, to, to you know, like the effect of the trust and love, um, between us and our community and our students, um, who supported us immensely in the journey and who helped us to open this shala. So uh, it's been like five years, a little more than that, of like struggling and trying to reach yeah. the point where we where we are now. So uh, I must say we're quite lucky and quite Maybe ready. we are jumping the train here a little <laughs> bit for you, but I... <laughs> no, sorry. no, I appreciate hearing the uh, the story. And I, think, you know, so, no, it's, uh, I think it's one of the first, um, first times I've uh, heard a, a kind of longer... Um, longer form kind of love story um on the podcast <laughs> it's really nice and it's really similar to Teresa and i actually met at purple valley and, and really we we you know we were staying in the same house straight away so we were kind of living together and then you know from that moment onwards we we had never have not lived together you know it's like it's kind of crazy so 
And uh, apparently she informs me we're always yeah, 10 years mar married now. No, you're better than us. You spend so much time with our students, our assistants in our shala, and uh, they had so much um, to tell about you, which we actually <laughs> didn't know. So we learned about you from our students, which was a nice experience. <laughs> yeah. They love no, I mean, I, it was uh, it was wonderful to come to the shala, and it was clear that you'd built up a beautiful community there, to be honest. Uh, one of the most unique um, and dedicated communities I've ever had the pleasure to uh, to work with. Um, have you had those students? Sure, they'll be happy to hear that, Adam. <laughs> no, they really were. They they really, they really were. Um, and I I'm fairly um, down to earth and honest about things. Um, have some of those students been with you from the whole time? Have they or or have some they? Some of them, yes. And it's yeah. been uh, organically growing community, and uh, it's uh, people people are really. Um, uh, I think uh, it's it's a community that is uh, built itself, and we are just uh, kind of witnessing this uh, mm. growth and transformation of this whole process that takes along with it. And I feel I have to give a shout out to all the people who helped us uh, open out this new space that we have. If it wasn't for them, it I think they truly. Um, love being in the space and being in that Mysore room together and yeah it, it's I in many ways I feel like we are, we are literally living a dream that we wish for once and uh, it's manifesting right in front of us and uh, we're just witnessing uh, as it unfolds and it's beautiful to see that. Mm, mm. Yeah, I really feel that, that there is a sense of community amongst the students as well. They they constantly support each other, and uh, when I was there, they you know they really helped with the running of the place. You know, help with yeah. uh, looking after it and checking people in and opening and closing. And you know, um, they know where the air conditioning is when I was getting really hot. And, <laughs> and I say every morning, the first time getting into the Singapore, and you haven't been in the in the east anymore, especially in Singapore, and you climb up the stairs. And I was just not used to it coming from Europe again. I was like, oh, my God, put that air conditioning on for just for a second and then we'll turn it off again. Huh. I just couldn't. <laughs> Until I buy some more appropriate clothes that are like... I'm used to get used to it. Yeah, yeah, to get used to it. I'm used to it now, but I mean, coming from London to Singapore, it was a shock, you know. I, just kind of, I yeah. think it took Lo me also two years to get used to... Uh, to stop sweating on every occasion, you know, I mean, I still do, but a little less. Um, one good thing is that I find um, the practice easier when the weather is so warm and humid, like joints yes. feel more lubricated and kind of body goes more easily into certain postures, comparing to life in Berlin, which I had, or Poland, you know. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely challenge whenever we have friends coming from Europe visiting, they like 24 hours and they are, you know, full and struggle because it's really tough. It is like just going to, when you go to Mysore, uh, you know, so just like, wow, it's a different practice. If you've yeah. been in Europe, you know, and then you're in the Mysore in that run, well, the, certainly the old Charles, especially when you're all close together as well. And it was very hot um, <laughs> and it's like, wow, this is how it's meant to feel. <laughs> it's, a, it's also a risk because you can kind of push yourself too far as well so you're, you're so warm but yeah. um yeah and i think after a while you, you have to kind of get get into a certain way with it because otherwise you end up depleting yourself because you're just sweating sweating so much every day and it's like yeah, you have to find a way you slow down and, and yeah 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 drink lots of coconuts um 
Anyway, how how did you um, both get into the yoga in the first place? We kind of jumped the gun and, and got halfway through the story, but I never learned who were your teachers and how. I mean, obviously, you spent a lot of time with Mysore and you're very dedicated to Shirachi and the, um, and the Mysore style. But um, where were you? Where did you learn first of all, and how did you build up into into going to Mysore? If I could ask both of you. So I think um, I was lucky that. Uh... In my school, they had yoga, and I started practicing uh, when I was nine years old. Um, and then I continued for six, seven years regularly uh, until the end of school days. Um, yeah, that's, I, I initially there was this wonderful, inspiring teacher called Prakash. I still remember him so dearly, and uh, he has touched uh, and impacted my life in when I look back at it now, I realize that oh, he, uh, as a kid, being able to uh, do yoga and not understand its power, but only after so many years, when I look back at it, I realize that it was so beautiful to have this opportunity to learn um, from such an inspiring guy. And I, I don't know what where he is now, what he does, anything, mm. no details, nothing whatsoever. But yeah, um, he later, him or something. yeah. <laughs> I've tried. I've tried many times googling Have him. You? But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Find the details anyway. Um, yeah, and then later during my pre-university and college, I think I had, had not done any form of yoga for six for, for another six seven years, and then later after that, yoga found me in a way. Um, and I was uh, initiated into one of this gurukul where I was um, in this gurukul learning to teach yoga for two to three months. And then I was uh, teaching yoga in Delhi for five years. And yeah, it's, it was just, uh, I think yoga found me rather than me finding yoga. And yoga has mm. always found me one way, one way or another. And I was lucky for that. And uh, during this uh, five years in Delhi, while teaching is when I found Ashtanga. That was, I think, somewhere around 20, 2012. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, I started learning with uh, Ajay Tokas in Delhi. Oh, yeah, I know Ajay. He was one yeah. of my first teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And then I made a trip to Kerala. And then Ajay told me that you have to go to Mysore. And, uh, and then Yes, I, I can imagine he would say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess there was no turning back after that. And uh, yeah, it was Mysore is magical. Like everyone knows it already. The Just being there... Uh, has changed my life completely and uh, I am who I am because of this practice of Ashtanga and I I am truly grateful that I found this path and I'm so happy that I'm sharing what I love the most and yeah it's it's been uh, it's been an uh, a dream journey for me to be uh, where I am at this moment but at the same time, I feel like it is sort of manifested unconsciously or subconsciously. Um, yeah. And mm. I think it's the same with a lot of life, isn't it? You look back and you just think, how did that all happen, really? <laughs> it just seemed to happen like, 
without you trying at all. But funnily enough, AJ, I remember AJ inviting me to Delhi around 2012 when he was in my association. Come to see your workshop in Delhi. So I could have met you at that time, but I can't remember. I think I was... I was done with uh, with India after a number of months in Mysore. I think I just wanted to go home uh, to yeah. London. I, did so meet, I didn't go uh, to Delhi. Then. Kino, though, yeah. in Delhi, she came for a quick uh, workshop huh. uh, for a week or something. And yeah, she was one of the first teachers that I attended the uh, workshop with. Uh, yeah, that was way long ago. And this was even before going to Mysore, I think. And Kino doesn't host those kind of workshops in India, I was super lucky to have, <laughs> have come there for a week and attend that. Yeah. Do, do, do you, when you mention it, the, the uh, yoga changed your life. Do, do you think there's a difference, if I could just ask before moving to Mata, between when you started the Hatha yoga and the Ashtanga? Do, 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 do you notice a particular difference? You said it, it made you everything you are now. Yeah. Was that coming gradually or did you notice a shift when you started the practice Absolutely, of Ashtanga yoga? There was this immediate shift, and even the very first first time I started practicing the connection with the breath and moving the body, and I I felt some sort of uh, presence or being alive fully in myself after my first few Ashtanga and Mysore practices. I was like, I've never felt anything like this before. It was so profound that. I knew immediately, like, okay, this is what I need to be learning more and practicing. And yeah, and I, I there is this thing about Ashtanga, right? And I think it's uh, if if you love it, you love it. If <laughs> if not, you <laughs> you you are the opposite. You don't want nothing to do with Ashtanga. <laughs> well, I was gonna I mean, it kind of segues into what I was gonna say. How is that different to your traditional, let's say, more traditional training in Hatha Yoga? you know, in India, because people will always think, oh, you know, an Indian person doing Ashtanga, it's like, you know, surely there would have been a more traditional yoga you, you, you were doing before. Like, how does it, you know, how do the two relate to each other? Totally. So, like I mentioned before, I was uh, uh, in school practicing Hatha, and that was beautiful. But then when I was starting to teach, it wasn't really Hatha. It was uh, something called artistic yoga, and it was sort of a weight loss program. And it wasn't something that I resonated with very much. So I guess finding Ashtanga was uh, pretty obvious that I would move towards that direction being uh, every time when I <clears throat> conducted a class, people always say that, oh, his classes are different. He doesn't do this weight loss much. <laughs> He's more into Hatha style and I still love Hatha classes a lot. I think uh, I still teach Hatha classes uh, time to time. And I love the fact of uh, inclusivity that it has from people uh, who are a little intimidated about Mysore and self-practice and Ashtanga. So mm. I love still uh, holding space for Hatha every now and then. What did you call the style of class? Was it weight loss? Yeah, it was. It was. That's what you let's catch up with martin now quickly and um uh, and, and hear a little bit about your story how you got into yoga i think from this exactly opposite to how they were yeah. one because for john he was just manifesting things in his life you know i think he never really applied for any job ever in his life there were jobs always coming to him you know and for me the journey 
I feel like wherever I reached was always a lot of hard work, like the manifestation, uh, I think was not my thing. But I started from a little different point because I, um, you know, I was never really a physical person as a teenager or young adult. I was more of the intellectual uh, person who would spend a lot of time alone, reading books, researching, studying. And um, that was kind of my field of interest and my free time uh, way of spending free time. So I came across different books and I was initially mostly interested in spirituality and this overall quest of like what is the purpose like why i'm here you know what i'm doing um and it became pretty soon obvious for me that me as like all of us we are we just want to be happy in life and and i realized that i was never happy in my life you know and i realized it quite like i don't know as in 16 or 18 years old girl so um so then the physical practice of yoga and different style of meditation and pranayama, which was mostly self-taught because I just had these books. I have some books of Iyengar. Mm. I had her mm. asana books. So I was learning all the Kriya, pranayama, asana. You know, like people ask me, like, how did I know, <laughs> learn Naoli? I learned it from the book when I was 16, you know, <laughs> because there was like, there was this drawing, like, you know, like suck the abdomen in and then push the <laughs> rectus up. And um, that's how I learned things. And until I then found at some point uh, some basic Hatha classes in my town, which I started attending and like um, going through the Iyengar style because that was back then uh, popular in Poland. So I was initially Iyengar based and working on pranayama, working on meditation. And then I, in my early 20s, I started traveling to India. So that was still a little bit of Iyengar. And then I added on Vipassana. Uh, and then only in my early 20s, I came across Ashtanga. So that was one of my Iyengar teachers who just said, like, just go and try the try the lead class. I tried and I completely hated it. But again, I had this kind of thing like, okay, good things don't come easy for me in life. Like I always have to kick myself to get where I need to. So that kind of motivated me. So I was like, okay, let's keep trying. Like I'm not a person who gives up easily. You know, if I start something, I usually keep going. So I kept doing this, this full primary led classes, <laughs> being, you know, absolutely <laughs> not ready. It's the worst thing you can do to yourself, but I had no choice. Um, until then, um, later I moved to Germany and I came across the Mysore style, you know, so I went and confidently into a Mysore class thinking like, oh, I can do Ashtanga so well. I've been doing these lead classes for a couple of years now. And then I realized I don't even know how to do Surya Namaskar. You know? <laughs> so it was like a very humble awakening. And again, I had to start learning from scratch. Um, uh, so yeah, it's been quite a few years now uh, that I've been doing it. And, and then uh, I moved to Germany. Who, who were you learning with, who were you learning with in Germany? Uh, I was in Berlin. So at the time, there were two yoga studios. There was the Andrea, uh, who was following um, Nancy Gilgoff and David Garig. So that was one uh, lineage. And the other one was um, Grisha, who is... Oh, Grisha, I know Grisha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Practice with each of them for some time. Right. Mm, until later, I actually found my teacher and um, my dearest teacher in, in Berlin was Matthew, who is 
Matthew Vollmer. From UK, Matthew Vollmer. Yeah, so, he's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really lucky to practice with him yeah. for, I think, two or three years when he lived in Berlin. Oh, wow. Yeah, They're yeah, yeah. Quite short. So that was actually the first teacher that I felt like, okay, this is Ashtanga. That's how I'm learning it the way I, I, I need it, you know, um, because he was more... I would say traditional, so like stopping you at the pose, letting you work, experience your mind, like stopping me, you know, at Ekapada for a year and then Pincha for another year. I, I, you know, I took it as a blessing because it was a beautiful journey or kind of, you know, introspection and seeing what I need and having enough time to build strength instead of just, you know, focusing on getting more and more um, done on the mat. So that was really beautiful, beautiful lesson. And then I also started um, teaching in Berlin and had my tiny shala for a couple of years. Um, so um, yeah, that was that was more or less the journey. And I feel um, like we were just speaking with John about it the other day. Uh, and I had this kind of reflection that my journey started from spirituality and went through this kind of hard guy mm. ashtangi, you know, for a couple of years. And then uh, recently, you know, softening a little bit, going into motherhood and discovering mm. the seventh series where the focus on the asana is a little more gentle, a little more relaxed, going more into chanting and again back to pranayama since the past uh, maybe two years. Yeah, uh, so I think I saw you, you'd you gone yeah. to more recently to learn with Paul, Paul Dallahan, hadn't you? Yes. You'd done some breath work yes. with Paul? Yeah, yeah. That so, sounds nice. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel that's that's kind of the practice that served me better. I mean, I still do my asana and I still, you know, stick more or less to the series that I've been doing, but but adding on um a little bit of more release and a little more gentleness into the practice and instead of being, you know, into this uh, just focus like okay, I have to do my full intermediate today, I have to learn another pose from advance and like being driven by that, I'm just like, okay, I just allow myself to relax and I just do what feels best it's, today. It's funny that she started saying this by uh, mentioning that things didn't come easy to her and manifestation doesn't work. Just a couple of days ago, she, she was telling me that I have to be careful what I wish for. The universe actually listens. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the Midas touch, anything you think of just, just turns up. Um, uh, John, I've got a question for you. Um, yeah. uh, do you forever, uh, how do you relate to the, your upbringing and the background of yoga that you would have experienced as a young person to the Ashtanga, which is a kind of modern and rather westernized form of yoga, right? Yeah. Um, is, yeah. I mean, is there anything you might say about that? Does, um, it, does it correlate or does it is it does it feel strange or does I think it as different? a young person uh, what i learned uh, i think i learned a lot more yoga through my family than uh, the asana practice that i did on did with my teacher in school i guess my i was brought up in a um, catholic uh, upbringing and uh, my mom used to go to church almost every day. Father is a counselor in church and stuff like that. So I've had Sundays studying um, Bible, catechism. It, it was like a proper Catholic upbringing. But then uh, they, uh, they have taught me uh, that life, uh, you know, the spiritual aspect of life, but, but then... I was always kind of, uh, you can say, the black sheep 
or the black wolf of the family who discovered many different things. But uh, my I always was curious to learn more, understand more. Even the fact that I speak uh, this English surprises to many of my uh, friends and family. I learned, to be honest, to speak English just watching good uh, Hollywood movies because I, <laughs> I love watching movies. So mm. um, about your question of uh, how it's different uh, in Ashtanga, I guess... Um, Ashtanga is mostly appreciated by people from outside India rather than in India. Uh, mm, mm. When you look at it, people in India, now the yoga is slowly reviving back and Ashtanga is slowly getting more and more popular and there are more and more Indians practicing, which is beautiful. I'm so happy for that. Um, but it can also be, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I guess Indians uh, don't like much of discipline and uh, something that's too hard for them. <laughs> uh, probably because of that, uh, Ashtanga wasn't so popular, but uh, now it's slowly reviving back. Um, but also because of uh, the yoga day and stuff like that, the yoga is becoming uh, more and more available to people rather than just mm. as it was before. <laughs> so yeah that's a that's a good sign i don't know if i answered your question there but uh, yeah i think it's it's a complicated subject so i've done a little, kind of little little bits with with other uh, native indians as well like as to how it you know how it feels you know and it's kind of like having yoga reintroduced in a, in a more hybrid fashion which which ostensibly at least seems to be more asana based and less about you know a whole way of life which obviously you know anyone that's been to india recognizes that it's something which is to do with a whole way of living you know dharma i um rather than um just uh, performing a few asanas early in the morning um but to that end maybe my next question which Mar marta can start with it would be um how do you relate the philosophy behind yoga which i know you're both very interested in and living you're very very keen both of you on living a yoga lifestyle to the fullest degree with the asana practice how do you teach that or can you teach that i mean it's a wide question it's a big question i expect a whole answer to it don't worry but how do you try and convey that to your students through the practice of yoga asana does it relate to yoga asana and how do you relate it to to your teaching I think there is much to much to say about it because, well, I think the first misconception is, uh, which I'm recently, I mean, or maybe I've been, no, maybe we, all of us, we know it, like all of diehard Ashtangis, I think we know it somewhere deep at our heart, we, we don't want to admit it, you know, like, you won't reach Samadhi by practicing asana. <laughs> no. I feel the asana is, um, is definitely a wonderful practice but i feel it's like a gateway it's like an entry level towards the the deeper self towards the deeper quest for self-realization and i think of course working with the body working with the breath we learn how to develop kindness we learn how to understand our body we can heal our body in a wonderful way uh, and we start getting deeper. We start observing our behavioral patterns, our reactions, our self-judgment or judgment to a person on the mat next to us. But I think it's just a very entry level that um, each, every practitioner 
gets for themselves. We as a teachers, of course, we, we support that by encouraging the drishti, by encouraging the breath, focus on the bandha and all this internal processes. But I believe that for each of us, it happens at our own pace, um, at a different stage. You know, some people get there right away. Uh, you know, some people start practicing Ashtanga and day one, they go like, okay, six days a week, respecting Mondays, observing the, the inner cycle and so on. And they are there. Some people take years to even be able to have like inhale for two seconds and exhale for two seconds, you know, like the very basic um, balancing breath. Uh, so for everyone is different. I think it's something that has to be experienced. That's something that you can't really teach, uh, but practitioner has to, has to grow into that. And we as a teachers, we are just allowing them or like giving them space to kind of be on this internal quest. And then for each of us, as we practice more and more, some of us start going, um, you know, a little bit into the, the devotional aspect of practice, which for me, uh, well, it's not necessarily about being religious or highly spiritual, but finding more integrity in your life, like answering the question, does my work or does the relationships, do the relationships I'm in are in accordance to my, my values in life? You know, when we start thinking about that, we often realize like, hmm, okay, maybe not always, you know, finding the dedication, the practicing with care, um, doing whatever we do, uh, putting our heart into it. Because like not everyone has to be a yoga teacher or like seven days a week diehard practitioner to be Ashtangi in my understanding. Because whatever you do, you can, you know, uh, be a barista or you can be a, a policeman. But if you do it with care and with dedication, this is your yoga. And uh, finding the discipline to whatever is your practice, be it five minutes of pranayama or like uh, 10 minutes japa every morning, finding the discipline to, to do it continuously every day, uh, you know, not to give up. There is no, like what we always tell our students, our assistants, there is no holiday from yoga. You take it with you, you know. It doesn't have to be physically that you have to do your full primary every day, but but you carry it inside. So I feel this is something that we convey to the students, to practitioners. So like if they are able, if they're interested, they, they get onto this journey with us and we are there to kind of open the gate and show that's the direction according to us. Um, but if there is any particular way I can share the spirituality through asana, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but the philosophy, I guess it's a natural progression because people uh, come to practice. People are coming from various different walks of life. You know, you can't impose things on them. When they are ready, I think they will seek for it. And everyone has a different journey to make towards the uh, other aspects of yoga. And I think that's, yeah, as you say, there's no, there's no holiday from yoga because you can't <laughs> say, oh, I haven't got, I haven't got all the kit I need to do the practice. As they say, you know, unfortunately, when you, whenever you go on holiday, you still like, even if you don't have a yoga mat, you still um, <laughs> haven't really got any excuses to, uh, to keep up some kind of practice. We haven't um, been in a proper holiday, John and me, like for like decades, you mentioning know, about a proper holiday. because like whenever we go for a Whenever we travel, like we either travel to teach or we travel um, to study or we travel to Mysore. Like we, I've never been for like one week of lying on the beach or so. I would love to, you know, I'm really, <laughs> it's not happening because like, like whenever we go, there is some yoga thing, some part yeah. of some learning, I, some teaching. 
Sad what I think it's a certain period of time where it has to try and rebalance that up because I kind of felt like I went to India for years and years. People say, "Oh, you must know the country so well," blah blah blah, and they go, well, "Not really." Happens Unfortunately, so I just kept going to Mysore. They go, "Well, where have you been?" I go, "Well, you know, Bangalore, Mysore, Mumbai." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing, um, you know. So now the second half of my life, I'm just trying to rebalance the. The, the the imbalance that was there in in uh, maybe just being a little but you bit still too teach ninety percent of time wherever you travel right <laughs> I do and Teresa says to me don't always teach don't go somewhere and don't teach for a while but then I get in touch with people and say oh should I you know or they get in touch with me and then then I end up doing the teaching again you know and she says why did you agree to it we should just have a holiday for a week but the thing <laughs> is you you know it's nice to meet people isn't it and when you go to a place you want to meet people so it is a great place it is a great way to meet people you know we're just like when you're going to singapore it's like i don't really remember much of singapore and at the end of the day you're in a city aren't you at the end of the day it's a city and like any other and, but you meet nice people or you meet people and that you know and that's what you know obviously i remember all the time i spent with your your lovely students you know which made the trip you know rather than just going and oh i'm gonna go to the uh where is it the, that that big hotel in Singapore with the go go see that thing with the pool and the roof and all that stuff, you know, like you know, it's yeah. Who cares about that? You know, yeah. we, we are, you know, oh, like what John mentioned, like either you love it or you hate it. Like once you step into Ashtang, I don't know, you just can't get out of it because like there's something, isn't it? there? Yes, all the time there, and I think that's the beauty. Like whole life. Like, that's why, you know, our understanding of, like, what does it mean to be Ashtangi? Like, I sometimes hear people like, oh, I used to be Ashtangi and I'm not anymore. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, you mean you don't practice the primary series anymore? That means you're not Ashtangi anymore. And I think for me, the, the meaning and the understanding of being a yogi, being a practitioner is so much broader than just doing the, you know, the, the rigid sequence of postures because Ashtanga... I mean, as the name says, right, we have the eight limbs. And if you cut on one, but you're at heart yogi and you still believe into the yamas, into niyamas, you know, you, you, you practice other things. I think you can be still ashtangi. So that's why I think mm. like even if probably in 10, 20, 30 years, I'll be doing less and less posture, but I don't think I would ever dare to say I'm not an ashtangi anymore. Even if my practice is like to sun salutation and Kedem Kal afterwards, I will still believe this is my Ashtanga practice because uh, that's my understanding much broader than just this few series that we were um, taught, you know. I think you can give yourself more than 10 years. You're, you're a bit young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's a bit pessimistic. But I mean, I'll challenge you both on that end. So you, you're still teaching the sequences. There must be something in the sequences themselves or the something in the yoga themselves. Like I often get into this loop myself where I think, well, you know, potentially if yoga is about consistency and about mind stability and about, you know, dedication of you know, to something broader or larger than oneself, you know, the, these kind of qualities then anyone can do it or then you know then getting up and playing the piano can if you did that every day in the morning could do it or you know or going out to the gym every day could do it if you just dedicate but is there something different in the in the asanas themselves and then the, you know obviously you're teaching ashtanga yoga which which is qualified by this uh, dedication to specific set sequencing you know um so what, what do you think about that you know is there something special mm -hmm. in asana or is there something special in the sequencing i think sequence is very intelligent and it's beautiful but but then it shouldn't be shared or thought in a dogmatic way is what i truly believe in and i think this learning 
and understanding came through my own uh going through this dogma initially and having my own hardships with um having a few ordeals of having two knee surgeries and a lung surgery before that and stuffs like that uh having to be uh being taken the asanas or the easy uh asana was easy for me in certain ways but maybe because of the indian body type that i was or mm. tall and slender uh but then when i was in the prime or when i felt like i could almost progress more and more and more and then i had this uh uh drawback that made me truly realize that okay it really truly it's not about asana but then the process of rebuilding that humbling journey that you make towards uh knowing yourself better creates some sort of compassion uh and kindness not only towards yourself but towards the people that come to you and you're you're just there to share this joy of uh being able to connect to uh your own breath and being in your body and being present with that and not being so strictly rigid about this is the only right sequence of course there are certain guidelines to be followed but not blindly i would say uh depending on the person who is there um we can uh modify or mm. use some props if necessary and things like that we are this is uh this is my understanding of my own journey that i made and i think we both uh, gradually uh, move towards this direction of being more receptive and uh, uh, embracing people as they are when they come onto the mat because everybody at the end of the day wants to be seen heard and, mm. and they they just they just uh, come yeah. to practice to feel good and not to be told off you know <laughs> exactly you did the, those knee surgeries were they through um with as a result of ashtanga or or otherwise <laughs> that must be his other hobby <laughs> actually it was i used to play i used to be very athletic in my school days i used to play a lot of basketball and stuff like that so after starting to teach yoga i had this 10 years of break where i did not play uh, a single game or even throw ball but then in singapore out of the blue i just went into the neighborhood one day and i played with the kids there and uh, i just landed wrong and my body went one way and knee went another way i tore quite a few ligaments i think acl mcl and meniscus all three together so i had oh wow two reconstruction surgeries for that and uh, it was very helpful but uh, it's uh, it's uh, you know it's it's how do i say it it was helpful but but never perfect uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, if somebody sees me practice unless unless i tell them that i had a knee surgery they wouldn't figure out and that's the power right. of ashtanga mm. again well it's it's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> but then that comes yeah, that's uh, that. that's a quite a serious knee injury there yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing you recovered from that you right It's still yeah. still work in progress and it's a constant work in progress i always have to be yeah. mindful of what i do and uh, constantly trying to uh, meet my body where it is rather than putting expectations of uh, what i could do and what i want to do and things like that and this is basically what i 
what we share, you know, it's just our own experience. And I think having this tool, this beautiful, very powerful tool of the daily practice is the most healing tool we can give ourselves, you know, um, and uh, coming back to the practice, the same was for me. I also had knee surgery and then, uh, you know, having a baby and this process of coming back is so beautiful if you know your body so well and if you know how to heal your body by yourself. Uh, you know, nowadays people are so afraid of their health and, you know, getting injured. First thing we do, we, we run to the doctor with, with, especially in, you know, places like Asia, people just go to the doctor with anything, you know, because they don't trust their own intuition. They don't trust the, the, the healing power of the body. And of course, at some point we need the surgery. At some point we need to see the doctor. But like before that, just having the ability to, to estimate how is my body? Do I really need to panic or I can just observe, stay with the breath, let the body, you know, transform on its own. Mm. Um, wonderful thing. And I think that these years of the dedicated, uh, you know, Ashtanga practice, at least for me, if I didn't have this, this rigorous and like, and like very disciplined practice for more than 15 years, I would probably didn't get this knowledge of my own body. And, you know, having that background, I can say, okay, maybe now I can let go on certain asana. Maybe I can let go a little bit on, on being so rigid and stiff, uh, because I have the foundation, uh, which, which I believe all it's so helpful for all of us. Mm. That being said, well. I think, uh, Adam, I should mention that Ashtanga is not what made me heal through these surgeries. It is absolutely uh, prehab and rehab and a lot of strength work. I was going to ask you if you could yeah. recommend anything or, or share any absolutely. part of your journey. Yeah, yeah, for people. So many people have had knee surgeries, often due to Ashtanga Yoga, let's say, yeah. me included. I had both my knees done in the first two years, probably, or three years of, of Ashtanga yeah. practice. Yeah. I think a lot of Ashtangis have knee troubles because uh, we don't really learn to engage the muscles in the legs and uh, we just, uh, because of the tightness in the hip, we just dump everything onto the knee. Uh, but yes, having strength work is really helpful for us to uh, re regain uh, back the knee. Sorry, my daughter is just, yeah. <laughs> Right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> an organic conversation. Hello. <laughs> she can she can come on as well. Um, yeah. So you know, Johnny was saying. I mean, did you do you have any, or do you still do, or did you do any strength training for the legs or the knees, particularly kind of like gym kind of esque lifting weights and that kind of thing? Yes, yes, I did, yeah, and right, I right. still go back to it time to time when I feel some uh, some sort of pain or anything. I think I rely back into strength work to uh, because I think I truly believe having uh, stronger cordyceps, uh, hamstrings, and glutes support the knee a lot, and I have no pain when I ha do these strength work. Uh, so I take a few steps back in my practice and I go back to the strength training and then I come back into the practice and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's truly magical. Like Martha was saying, our bodies have this magnificent part to heal themselves. We just need to provide, uh, and listen to these intuitions, what the body is saying and, uh, just do what is needed then and there rather than pushing through it. Uh, yeah, I think that's yoga, you know, that's what, uh, the practice uh, teaches us in the end of the day.
but he, I mean, I've, I think I've seen you on on uh, on, on posts and things, still doing kind of advanced lotus work, even with that. So you've recovered to that degree that you've been able to. I mean, it's a horrific injury you suffered. Um, the, the, you'd be able to get the lotus back to that degree, which is outstanding. And and I think it speaks as a some kind of motivation or encouragement for people that are suffering with a knee. Um, the, the Surgeons did tell did tell me that I would never be able to do stuff that I used to, but I proved them wrong. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, you did because it's mm -hmm. yeah. As I say, it's I mean that's a, it's not just a torn meniscus. You 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 suffered quite a quite a serious knee injury there. Um, so it's incredible. Um, yeah, we don't claim to uh, provide any um any advice as to whether you should get your knees uh, surgically uh, operated on or not. But you know, um, all of us have. Um, and uh, you know, I think I yeah, you obviously John had some success there, and uh, yeah, I. I always say that I've had, you know, the knee, the knee doesn't have much of a blood supply. So it's if you tear the meniscus, it's very hard to heal the thing. And uh, it does, the, you know, I mean, like, we're not going to go into meniscus surgery. I and mean, John had more of a meniscus surgery than, uh, than just, he had more of a surgery than just meniscus. But, you know, for the meniscus to heal um, in, in its place is very difficult. So, you know, what they do is they shave a little bit of that meniscus off and then it often often makes you, you know, you're able to do those things that just cause a kind of pinching or a sharp pain in the knee. Then, uh, And that was my experience is that it did did sort out my knees, but I think I had a small tear. I mean, if I had it now at the age of 44, I'm not sure I would do the surgery now uh, when I was older. But, you know, then 22, you, you know, um, it, it did, you know, it did heal. So, I mean, because, you know, I, I go through that a little bit because people are always asking about knee surgery in Ashtanga, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> um on that, on that note, and it's not exactly a segue, just the final bit I'd like to ask you is how do you involve the yoga in your lifestyle? How does, uh, you know, how, you know, because I know that you're very specific about uh, doing the chanting and doing, uh, you know, involving yoga as a whole life and living your life, in, you know, with yoga. Is there anything you can say about how you involve it? In, I wish we were you know? able not to involve it so much. <laughs> like I, I think that's, that's not that true. But uh, yeah. having... Having this beautiful being, uh, daughterless Isabel, is the highest form of yoga there is, I guess. And uh, we must have done something right in this life of us to receive such a blessing. She's our guru. She's teaching us what yoga truly means. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think uh, life now revolves around this tiny creature. Uh, yeah, and uh, having a community who whom we can share what we love most and sharing all these different aspects of chanting and sutras and the workshops and sharing just beyond the basic asanas is, is again our own swadhyaya that we do, you know, to share. We have to always constantly learn. And it's an ongoing process. Pro process and we are constantly <coughs> work in progress and i think that's that's the beauty of yoga being able to teach uh, through your own self experiences and uh, uh, yeah self journey I you guess. know i feel for us it's so much about giving back i feel we are both so blessed through this practice and um, that now we feel like teaching and sharing and and exactly what you asked, uh, what you mentioned, sharing not only the asana, but sharing uh, more and more on the on the spiritual uh, side. We had now on one day a beautiful Ganesha puja on the occasion of Ganesha Chaturthi. 
And, you know, the small kind of gestures, which um, people, you know, of all religions are very interested to see and to experience. More and more of our students want to learn pranayama. So going from the gross to subtle, you know, that's our journey. And I feel that's also where we take uh, our students along. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I, mean, I know I've seen some of your that the uh, the opening homer that you did and the pujas and uh, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a unique program that you offer there. And, it's our um, hobby, yeah. you know. It's not that we feel it has to be done, but uh, for me, you know, whenever I start chanting, I just feel like arriving home much even more than while doing asana. So I just feel it's so beautiful and makes me so grounded and calm, and I just love to share it with others. Not not do it. For Ganesha Chaturthi, because <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, Adam. You have seen this uh, beautiful Ganesha idol in our shala. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah. there is the story that I keep sharing to our students of uh, when we were hunting for the shala space to move into. We have been looking for it for a long time to find a beautiful space to move in, but then. Uh, uh, we, when me and Martha were just walking around our neighborhood, Little India, which is where we are in Singapore, we found this beautiful uh, Ganesha statue and we immediately fell in love with him and we said, okay, we have to bring him home. Uh, he will be in our new shala that we don't have yet. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got him home and literally within one week, uh, we not only saw this new space, we signed the agreement to move in. And it was like him moving all the obstacles to open up this space. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It was so, another some... manifestation in John's <laughs> life, you know. Ganesha <laughs> <laughs> and Vishal arrived. <laughs> yeah, I think that's some things are just beyond you. You just are surprised of how life works and. Yeah, everything is a learning and everything is so beautiful if you are receptive enough to And if you're in tune with tuned. your own dharma, with your own paths, I think then the life starts unfolding and the doorway starts opening towards what is actually supposed to happen. So, uh, yeah, that's yeah. our kind of encouragement. That's what we also share with our students, like find your own truth and follow it, you know, because only I think then... We are kind of manifesting the, the actual teachings of yoga, like when we start focusing inwards and observing this change within ourselves uh, and then, you know, uh, making sometimes maybe not easy decision in life, which though bring us closer to our true self. And I think that's when the things start uh, manifesting. This trust and belief comes in uh, oneself when we are actually doing asanas also even you know we learn to trust ourselves more believe in our own strength doing things uh, once we thought was impossible and uh, getting over those fears on the mat which is which can be small small things a simple back bend or some standing pose a balancing pose learning to find balance balancing is something that we are not all born with which is something we develop and we you know, it's it's something that we create for ourselves, and so is mm. life, I guess. We make it. I think for me, it was just like having confidence that I could do something and keep to something every day. You yeah. know, because that's a lot of it, isn't it? It's like trust yourself that you're going to kind of commit to something and you'll follow it through. You know, 
which is a big thing in life now, especially when you can do all different things, you know, all the time, you know, like, and you want to do all these different things. And it's like, well, if you're going to commit to doing one thing every day, then you get that integrity, that self-integrity. I'm going to say I'm going to do it, I'm going to keep at it. And you, you start to put a trust in, and that was, for me anyway, that was it. Trust myself that I could keep to one thing. And then I trusted myself more and more, just being able to keep to that one thing that was really hard. I could pick the hardest thing, pick the hardest thing and then do it and then keep to it. And you build up a lot of strength in doing that, you know. But the chanting, I can't. I, I did do it for a while, but but then I I I, I had this 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 uh, this crisis when Lakshmi in Mysore, you know, the chanting <laughs> guy. He, he, he they got wind of the fact I'd memorized these chants, right? Because I happen to have a very good memory. But then he said, "Okay, come down to the basement and and into the garage, and we'll go through the chants." And because you obviously had this aptitude for memorization. And then he heard what I was actually saying. And my pronunciation was so bad that in traditional Indian style, he told me off so much that um, <laughs> I never recovered. I never recovered from that, <laughs> from that time onwards. And, and, and chanting for me was then a, was, <laughs> I was unfortunately a little bit put off from that point on. Um, <laughs> So that's my sad story of chanting, but maybe one day, Marty, you can get me back into it, um, you know, in a more uh, Western-style friendly uh, uh, teaching. Where you're going to say I'm doing really well. You say I'm doing really well, and I'll be happy, and I might carry on. Um, I, I just wanted to ask you for the final uh, roundup. Um, I always ask these questions, and I saw John giving um, giving your daughter. I looked like a little bit of coffee there, but I was. Uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> It's tea. The thing was, it's going. It's segue. It's 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 moving on to my last uh, question, which is an easy one to answer. You know, give give me a guilty pleasure and inspiration, both of you. Um, and I was gonna I, just a funny story because I when I was in Singapore at their house, right? John's got this coffee machine, and often people say, "Oh, my, my guilty pleasure is coffee," right? You know, and my guilty pleasures are many. Are many things are guilty pleasure for me. Um, <laughs> one of them was coffee. One of them was coffee, and and, and, and the John's coffee. machine machine really gave me my comeuppance we'll say because i i came off a flight from london um so i had the jet lag i was jet lagged and then i drank some coffees from john's machine um and i never used it again after that second day because i had maybe i said really nice i was he's got this proper coffee machine there he's like you know a barista machine right and so i was making these coffees and maybe i you know <laughs> I, had about th- I had about three of them maybe maybe three maybe more maybe more even you know, <laughs> because i'm i'm very guilty of indulging in pleasures you know, see and and then i didn't sleep for two days the first two days of teaching i could not sleep i not combined with the jet lag and all the coffees which were strong I had a terrible, terrible time. So, so ever since then, my guilty pleasure of coffee has been somewhat tempered down from from this, uh, yeah, this experience. Not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Any 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 pleasure uh, that you take to extremes, there you go. That's uh, that's the that's the result of it. But anyway, it's a long winded um, a long winded question. There, um, can you both give me a, a guilty pleasure and an inspiration? Yeah, for you, I think to, um, to round well, the coffee machine is actually my guilty pleasure, which <laughs> it's yours. It's not John's even. I somehow thought it was John's, it right? Was, there you, well, go. Um, you know, when I was pregnant, we uh, that was the COVID time, um, and I had this many crazy cravings during pregnancy. One was coffee, and the other was beer. <laughs> Um, uh, I usually, you know, I don't drink alcohol, but uh, being pregnant, I was really badly craving for beer, uh, which was funny thing. But I was also craving for coffee. And because it was COVID and we couldn't really go out and drink coffee, we thought like, okay, let's just coffee machine for Marta so she can fulfill her. We also got <laughs> some beer too. <laughs> I also got some <laughs> beer from one of my students. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, I was actually recently really proud of myself. I managed to cut on coffee for like three weeks and didn't mm-hmm. have it as a first thing in, in the morning. Um, so <laughs> it was my big success. Uh, but I think it's a good thing. Even Sharat apparently drinks matcha now, not coffee anymore. Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. No, but so, I think, yeah. I should mention that I am, I am not a big coffee person. Uh, I do drink coffee uh, when I get it. If I need to, I, I can even drink just before going to sleep and I can fall asleep. It <laughs> absolutely doesn't affect me for some reason. And I don't crave for it. If I have it, I'm happy to drink it. If I don't have it, I'm fine. Too. <laughs> but I do have many other. It's one thing that he never questions. gets addicted to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, ha- I do have many other guilty pleasures. I think uh, one of which recently is I am going back to playing basketball. Uh, oh God! <laughs> that you should be guilty about that. That's that's a that's a liability. Um, oh. Don't know if, uh, how big one I am, and I mean it's it's it is indeed a contact sport. But I find so much uh, joy in just being on the court, and I feel more alive. In some ways, more maybe quite similar to even. Uh, proper practice with full presence. I think it's somewhere up the same level of playing ball for mm. me. So I completely disconnect. I'm just there and it, it's beautiful. And uh, uh, my inspiration, I think, uh, is just my wife, Martha. Uh, she is we start the, and finish with the, with the love story. So yeah, she is the yeah. backbone yeah. and uh, everything of what what we are right now with the shala and everything she puts a uh, heart uh, and hard work into uh, so many things that we are doing and trying to share and uh, yeah and i think she's a true inspiration for me in many ways which you might not even so nice. <laughs> now now marty you have to say the same don't you but apart so apart from john no, I actually obviously something else you know yeah yeah <laughs> No, I think uh, for me, the inspiration, I mean, of course, my husband's been always my inspiration and my, um, you know, source of faith that, uh, that, yeah, you can manifest things. And it's actually thanks to John that I realized that when you live your authentic, true life, things just happen. You just need to ask for them and they start coming. It was not like that before I met him, but yeah, things started coming uh, through. <laughs> the dreams started happening at some point. Uh but my my personal inspiration is just to be always a seeker and always a student. You know, no matter what we do, it's yoga or it's or it's any other field of interest. Just being on this forever quest of of discovering more, of finding your own truth, of living your own true life is is for mm. me the most authentic. You know, inspiration for life. Whatever it is, just follow it. You forgot your guilty pleasure. <laughs> No, that was my coffee. coffee. <laughs> coffee. Oh, that's your, oh, okay. We've been through the coffee and the beer. Okay, right. You're let off. You're let I'm off. No I mean, I... coffee, and I'm I'm pure. I think that if it's, yeah, if I was, I've been... was only during uh, the pregnancy. I've never. Yeah. She never drinks alcohol, by the way. Guilty pleasure is cuddling with our daughter. Is that <laughs> possible? <laughs> Quite possible. What we both have to do every morning and every evening, you know, just like. Um, 
Yeah, I think being parent completely changed your perspective on things and on life. And for us, it opened, um, you know, door to another level of love and, and kind of physical pleasure. Just holding her on your lap is like another level of of joy and, and sensuality. Uh, yeah, so we are there now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think I... I think my guilty pleasure would probably be basketball if I was as tall as John. You must be at least six two, John, or something like that, right? No, I'm just six, but uh, I was the third shortest in my team back then. <laughs> 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 the wonderful chat to you, and uh, you're doing something amazing there with the Singapore Shala. Um, I hope to return someday. You had a wonderful time, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely community you've built, and, and um, yeah. Thanks to you, and uh, yeah, hope to meet you in person again someday. Same here. Yeah, looking for... forward to seeing you in person, and thank you for having us. Thanks, it's really... thanks for coming on. It's been for... a nice chat. Finally, have a good chat with you. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you.